This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Charter schools are facing heavy criticism these days. Their ability to expand operations has been restricted by state laws. Teacher unions say they take money away from the public schools. Civil rights groups say they contribute to segregation. Some researchers say the average charter is no better than the typical neighborhood school. And charters aren't putting up much of a defense these days. But now, a nonagenarian has dipped his quill into red-hot ink to come to their defense, slashing critics with remarkable force and energy. Thomas Sowell, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University and a longtime defender of the free market and critic of government misadventures, has turned his attention to charter schools in his latest book entitled Charter Schools and Their Enemies. He focuses on some of the most successful charter schools in New York City, and then he attacks critics for trying to stultify these schools. I quote, they do this utterly without regard to whether particular charter schools are producing good or bad educational outcomes. Well, Robert Pondicio cites this passage in his just-released review of Sowell's book, Charter Schools and Their Enemies. He's, his review is available at the Education Next website. There is no one better place to comment on Sowell's latest magnum opus because Robert Pondicio, a senior fellow at the Fordham Institute, has only recently completed his own must-read book on charter schools, How the Other Half Learns which tells of his year spent inside one of the most successful charter networks in New York City. So Robert, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Dr. Peterson. Robert, in your review, you write of Sowell's ability to write with the clarity and moral authority that reformers and charter school advocates once wielded. So what is there in Sowell's approach that, that you're referring to when you make this statement? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, he, he engages in, a, in an attitude that, uh, as, as young people like to say, he's just not having it. Um, you know, I, I'm not an expert on, on Dr. Soul's career, let me be clear, but I've been a, you know, a distant admirer for quite some time. I mean, he's, he's written prolifically, many books, uh, lots of newspaper columns that I read even when I was a young person. He's an economist, however. Um, you know, he, he's not necessarily part of what we would consider the education reform movement or community. And I think that kind of arm's length distance, I mean, he's clearly sympathetic to the aims of reform. Uh, I think that gives him the ability to kind of not get caught up in some of the, the mundane arguments that, that a lot of us who do this day by day get, in, get engaged in. So he's kind of, you know, this voice of authority at, at age 90, who's able to kind of just step back and say, look, uh, here's what matters. Uh, so he writes with a with, with a great deal of, of authority and clarity about uh, uh, about uh, charter schools and their enemies, uh, up to including the the intro to the book. I mean, he dedicates the book uh, to to children whose futures hang in the balance, and and uh, you know that that kind of language is stirring and and reminds us why we do this work. But then he has to have a research strategy. He's got to have sure. some live data to work with. So what is his way of trying to convince you that charter schools are really the way Yeah, to, I mean, he, he yeah. is a social scientist at the end of the day, um, and his book is, is quite wonkish. Um, and, and he's very candid about the difficulty in making comparisons between charter schools and traditional schools. Again, this is an example of the type of thing that those of us who do this day to day labor to do well. Uh, so he has an interesting approach. He says, um, look, I'm just going to compare charter school students to traditional public school students in a strict apples to apples environment. 
and that means, in his case, uh, about 23,000 students in New York City where charter schools are co-located under the same roofs as, as traditional public schools run by the New York City Department of Education. So he's looking, in essence, for, for uh, physical schools where you've got charter kids and traditional public kids, like literally the same demographic kids, being educated side by side, one in a charter school, one in a, um, in a traditional public. Well, I can't help but asking this question, uh, Robert, and that sure. is, how can there be charter schools in the same building as a as as is it in this regular school district? I thought there was so much animosity between well, that's, that's right. Yeah, and and it, look, if I were a charter critic, I would take issue with this strategy, uh, for for any number of reasons. Not the least of which is it by definition uh, limits the comparison. Seoul is only choosing charter operators who have five or more schools. So by definition, you're getting some of the best charter operators in the country. I, I, the, the the five who qualify under his screen are KIPP, Success Academy, Explore Schools, Uncommon, and Achievement First. So you know uh, you, you could make the case that look this is this is putting your thumb on the scale. But that said, the comparisons are still quite remarkable. I mean, um, you know, the, the the ELA test scores, the the charters achieve proficiency at a rate five times better than the traditional publics in the same building. Uh, in math, it's seven times. So you know that that's that's difficult to explain away. Uh, you know, if if you're a charter critic. So so he's got the same kinds. Of kids, except for one thing, the kids who go to the charter school chose to go to the charter school. That's right. Is yeah. this no, that, a bit of, of leaving the other kids behind, so to speak? How does he deal sure. with that? Yeah, well, I I think he did. He just uh, just just waves it away. And look, you know, full full disclosure, I'm sympathetic to that argument. It's it's a very similar one that I made in my own book, How the Other Half Learns about Success Academy schools some of whose students are part of Seoul's comparison. I mean, I, I argued in that book and Seoul you know, um, nicely cites my book in, in his, um, that look, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense uh, to, to try to pretend that there isn't a difference uh, in, in student motivation. And, and my word is not, not Dr. Seoul's, but what's wrong with that? In other words, why would you wanna penalize parents uh, who, who are acting in their children's best interest and, and seeking to, um, educate their children uh, among like-minded parents. Well then, so how does he handle some of the criticisms that they are, the standard criticism of charter schools that they're taking away money from the public schools? Does he try yeah, I, to do I, that? Yeah? Uh, no, I, I think he, he just, uh, he, he kind of waves it away. Uh, in other words, the, the point that he makes, and, and he makes this uh, like a refrain throughout the book, um, that the charter critics are, are making their criticism, uh, and this is a quote from his book, utterly without regard to whether particular charter schools are producing good or bad educational outcomes. I mean, he's rather unsparing in his critique uh, that, that every impulse among charter enemies is, is, is a leveling impulse. In other words, they're either trying to regulate them to make them behave more like traditional public schools. Uh, they're, they're trying to uh, limit their number uh, in state houses and whatnot. And all of this, uh, Seoul argues, has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not these schools serve children well. And, and I think he's right about that. Well, how about the segregation question? I mean, the NAACP and other civil rights organizations have said that the charters are contributing to the greater segregation. And I'm not sure that the 
evidence is that strong that they are, but but uh, how does he respond to that, that issue? Yeah, I th he makes the point that, look, you know, why would you expect, and this is just from, from memory, um, you know, if, if a charter school opens in Chinatown in New York City, for example, and all the children who enroll in it are Chinese, that's not segregation. Um, you know, why would you expect these schools to be more diverse than the communities uh, in, in which they are located? And I, I, speaking now as just somebody who has worked in that environment for, for two decades now, that, that strikes me as exactly right. I mean, uh, the, the, the rules uh, of the road for charter schools are that you have to uh, privilege admissions, uh, lottery admissions, to, to, to your, your, your catchment zone. So, you know, in the South Bronx, where I taught, for, for example, for many years, um, that is heavily, if not exclusively, um, uh, black and brown. So why would you expect that the charter schools would be anything less than uh, reflecting the, 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 the composition of those communities? So that's not segregation because it's not being, it's not an external uh, condition upon who, who applies. That, that, that's the conditions that under which they operate. So why does uh, uh, Sol think he needs to attack uh, the critics? Why, why doesn't he just show that these charter schools are doing a great job and let the reader draw his or her own conclusions. Yeah, this is, this is where I think I just, as just speaking personally, uh, Dr. Peterson, this is where I particularly appreciated uh, the, the, the book. Um, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but I'm a little bit concerned as somebody who has followed this sector for some time now that we've lost our, our ability and even our appetite for, for, for pushing back. Um, so along comes, you know, Tom Sowell, again, somebody who is, as I described, ed reform adjacent, um, to basically say, uh, to, to make a spirited defense, the kind of which I think we used to see a lot more, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and, and, and now we've become a little bit less reluctant or a little bit more reluctant uh, to kind of make the moral argument in, in, in favor of charter schools. So it used to be that people would attack teacher unions sort of, uh, if they were in the school choice business, they would just go out and attack teacher unions. Now they tried try to avoid even mentioning them. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, because also there's, you know, there's a kind of, um, you know, there, there's some limited uh, efficacy to all of these arguments, I imagine. But it's just, um, you know, it, it's, it's uh, the, the, certainly the, 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 the parade of bad guys, so to speak, that Sol mentions are, are, are somewhat familiar, teachers union being an obvious one, uh, regulators, legislators, etc. But what, what, I, what I just find bracing about this, and, and again, I guess I'm guilty, Dr. Peterson, of viewing this more from kind of inside CMOs and inside um, the world of, of instruction as opposed to the political uh, aspects of this. You know, I, I just feel like we have kind of, um, again, lost our appetite for uh, defending uh, these schools and their practices. So, for example, he speaks at a great length about uh, discipline practices and, and, and how one of the ways in which charter schools are, are losing their distinctiveness is, uh, is, is by having the, 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 the expectation now that, that uh, discipline is too harsh in charter schools and it must be kind of brought to heel. Uh, and, and again, my word's not his, but this is an, this is an example of, of where charter schools are being forced to behave more like regular schools. And he makes the point that, look, learning doesn't happen in chaos. And, and that's exactly right. And I don't want to cast aspersions on those who have, you know, earnest opinions about uh, uh, disparate impact in terms of discipline and whatnot. But when you take a step back, it just, it's a common sense argument that I think resonates with parents, with others. They say, look, 
you know, my child can't be educated well in, 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 in Bedlam, as, as Sol says. So why would you expect uh, these charter schools to be anything less than uh, exacting in terms of their student discipline? That's what kids need. That's how they learn. Well, but there are a lot of charter schools out there. Uh, we, we know from various studies that have been done that do not stand out like the ones that he studies in New York City. Does he have anything to say about the general world of charters in, in the United States? Yeah, no, less so because he is uh, focusing on, on those, uh, those five CMOs in New York City and, and the comparison set of 23,000. Um, you know, and he's, he spends quite a bit of time at the beginning of the book explaining why comparisons are, are, are difficult to, to, to make. What do you think the impact of this book is going to be? How do you, how, is it just going to be? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, and again, I'm just going to uh, speak for myself here. And, and this is, you know, beyond the pages of, of, of Dr. Soule's book. Um, but it does seem like we're at a bit of a pivot point right now in the ed reform and, and charter school world. And, and we're seeing it. I mean, just this week, um, it's been dispiriting to see if you go on Instagram, for example, uh, virtually every major charter school operator in the country has now been uh, on the receiving end of, of, a, of harshly critical Instagram accounts that have been set up. Uh, so there's one called, I think, Survivors of Success Academy. Uh, I, I have taught uh, and worked in the past at Democracy Prep. Uh, there's, there's a site called Black and Brown at DP. Um, there's, there's, there's one about Uncommon. There's one about uh, KIPP. Um, and, and it's mostly anonymous. And it's, frankly, disaffected teachers and students posting grievances um, at, about these, these schools and these institutions. And uh, I mean, I want to be careful here because you know, we're in a particular moment right now where we're highly sensitized uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, issues of race uh, as, as they pertain to the practices of these schools. Um, but man, it's, it's, it's a little bit depressing and dispiriting to, to read all these. And the general, uh, I, don't, I don't wanna paint with too broad of a brush, Paul, but the general pushback has been, well, there isn't a lot of pushback. I, I mean, I'm not seeing charter operators defending themselves. I'm not seeing them, um, uh, you know, make any attempt to do anything other than uh, you know, take these, again, anonymous complaints seriously and respond to them that way. And, and I get it. I mean, that, you know, it's, it's important in this work to be reflective and to take criticism seriously. Um, but but I, I hope we are not to the point uh, as a movement where we uh, overthrow our convictions about, uh, you know, what a good education looks like and, and frankly, just defend ourselves a little bit and say, look, um, you know, these schools have been at the forefront of, of anti-racist uh, pedagogy and, and curriculum and, and just uh, culture, uh, school culture for, for, for decades right now. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in short, a little bit unclear to me what exactly the critics are expecting these schools to do uh, uh, other than continue to, to promote academic, uh, academic excellence among um, uh, brown and black low-income students of color. So Robert, when you talk about these websites that are appearing and focusing in on specific schools, where do you think they come from? I mean, if you are setting them up uh, for every single uh, charter school network in the country, uh, and I don't know if that's really happening, but if you're doing that, 
somebody's got to be funding that kind of an operation. That's going to oh, be a big not, not necessarily. I, I'm not sure about that at all. I mean, th in fact, I think it's probably quite the opposite. In other words, anybody can set up an Instagram account or a Twitter account or a Facebook page. Um, you could do it in 90 seconds at home. It doesn't really require anything whatsoever. So I, I don't want to discount uh, that this is that, that this is an earnest grassroots thing. Um, but what 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 strikes me, and and I haven't made a careful study of them, but I, I've been I've been kind of obsessively reading them the last couple of days. It, it is quite anonymous, um, and and it is just a different dynamic. Uh, I mean, again, we're in a political moment right now, um, for for reasons uh, you know that that are, are are quite serious and important to to reckon with, uh, where, where people are raising their voices and pushing back on on institutions that they think have have served them poorly, and so there's no reason to think that schools in general and charter schools in specific should be an exception to that. Well, um, how should how how do charters then respond to this? I mean, it's if people are playing, you know, in nasty politics, uh, yeah. should they do the same? Or I mean, how, what is the strategy? So. Okay, you got to speak. You got you can't just lie down. But then, if you're going to stand up, how do you stand up? Yeah, it's it's really tricky. And if we have this conversation in a couple more weeks, I may have a better answer for you, Paul, because I'm actually quite intrigued by that question. And in the last couple of days, I've been reaching out uh, to a number of of veteran you know, charter administrators, founders, etc., to ask exactly that question. You know, what's the response to this? Because again, um, you know the the just just good practice means that you have to be responsive to, to critics. On the other hand, you have to make sure that those those criticisms are valid and that they represent more than just a small number of, of, of disaffected uh, you know, uh, students and staff. Um, so it's, it's by no means clear to me at this point uh, in, in, in our conversation uh, that this does represent uh, the, the, the feelings of, for example, you know, the majority of parents, the majority of students. Because again, it's very, very easy to set up a social media account and to attract uh, almost instantly um, a few dozen other people who, who um, you know, under the cloak of anonymity, can use this to vent their spleen and, and settle some scores. Uh, that's not the same thing as, as, uh, as knowing that this is an endemic problem at these schools. So I think just prudence dictates at this point um, that, that we you know, be sober about uh, or clear-eyed about what's real here and what's not real here. So I guess you could explain away the, the reluctance of, of charter operators to engage these audiences so far. And also, frankly, um, the attempts that have been made to engage them have not gone very well. Uh, Seth Andrew, the, the founder of Democracy Prep, where I uh, have worked for years, uh, posted a, a long and earnest response on, on medium.com and, and was vilified almost instantly on one of these Instagram sites for it. Um, same thing with Success Academy. Eva Moskowitz has made some um, uh, response to criticisms, and, and those have not gone well either. So it's, 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 a difficult, um, it's a difficult needle to thread at this point because you want to be responsive, but we are in this highly charged moment where virtually anything you say is, is, is just... just just, just feeds the outrage. Well, it is a very timely book. I, I agree with you that uh, uh, Tom Sowell has really written uh, an analysis here that may be a little bit uh, too uh, designed in such a way to show charters at their very best, but 
maybe we need those, those kinds of books out there uh, that uh, really say, look at this is something special, at least in some specific cases, it's very special and we better uh, make sure that we protect them. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, it, it's a little bit of confirmation bias on my part because that was very much uh, a theme of, of the book that I wrote about Success Academy is to say, look, you know, the, 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 the criticisms that people make of these schools being somewhat selective in terms of their, uh, their admissions process, that's not wrong, um, but that's not the same thing as, as one, that's how you explain away the results, and, and two, that doesn't invalidate the real appetite uh, on behalf of, of traditionally underserved communities and parents uh, to really want their kids in, in these types of settings. Uh, and, and that's, look, that, that's a big theme of what Sol is writing about here. If, if my words, not his again, but if you, if you impose the same conditions on charter schools that you impose on traditional public schools, well, there's no reason to expect you're going to get anything other than those same results. Well, Robert, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Dr. Peterson. Always a pleasure. I've been speaking with Robert Pondicio, Senior Fellow at the Fordham Institute and author of How the Other Half Learns, the Inside Story of a Charter School Network in New York City. And just recently, his review of Thomas Sowell's latest book, Charter Schools and Their Enemies, has appeared on the Education Next website. I am Paul Peterson. This is Education Exchange. We release a new podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon. Thank you for joining me.